You know, there's a certain grouping of Greek words in the Bible that tend to build together a certain concept or principle in the Word of God uh, that's given to us that we might fully and more wholly understand the Word of God. And as I've been uh, listening to Brother Mike as he's been teaching Sunday school, he's, every once in a while he's making references, references to these types of, of things that we must need to understand the Word of God. Now those Greek words are phuo, phusis, phusikos, and suke. <laughs> Interesting, but they're all kind of tied together. Um, there's several other related Greek and Hebrew words that revolve in the concepts and principles of growing. Uh, that's what family camp's going to be about. That's the theme about growing. It's the nature of growth. It has to do with human nature, or on the contrary of human nature, it talks about spiritual nature. It speaks of animal nature, the nature of the immortal soul, or even just the vitality of plant life. They all kind of revolve around that area. God has put into existence a certain nature. A nature way of life and of thriving, something very visible and understood by mankind. And we need to pay attention to this if we're going to really understand God's Word. For instance, Romans 1.16, it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth. They hold the truth. It's in them. In unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. Everybody knows. For God hath showed it, showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. The things that we see is creation, the nature of it. Even His eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. There's nobody who can claim ignorance. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. That's part of knowing God is thankfulness. But they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools, and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile 
affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. We see that in the scriptures that the knowledge of God is an inborn nature. It's built in to every man. Though they may claim to be an atheist, they are lying. <laughs> it's just a lie. They are simply saying, here's what they're really saying, is I will not acknowledge God that I know that exists. For the agnostic who believes there is a God but he cannot be known is simply giving an excuse to not search for or serve that God whom he knows he must. They have become foolish and they are without excuse. It's interesting to know to me that scientists as they dig deeper into the intricacies of life, discoveries of nature that more and more reveal superintelligence of a creator. I mean, you, 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 the more they dig, it's more amazing it is. They will not give credit to God. They will foolishly just add billions of years to their reasoning. That's how they throw it away. And you can expect there's going to be more billions of years as they go down that they've got to just keep pushing it back for some kind of explanation. The whole basis of evolutionary thinking is to not acknowledge God. That's the whole thing in it. And as the scripture says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. When I look at these scriptures in Romans chapter 1, we see that sodomy, the defiling of the body, to that which goes against nature and to its own destruction is simply God giving them over to it. Why? Because they will not acknowledge God, though they know Him. It is a willful strike against and hatred of a God that they know of. The people of Canaan. Brother Mike has talked about this. Knew of the great and mighty works of God delivering Israel through the Red Sea and drowning the world power at that time of Egypt. The people in the land of Canaan knew. But they would not repent. Except for a remnant such as Rahab and Ruth and some others who would repent and turn in belief to the mighty God of this world. God with extreme patience gives this land a place to repent. And then he would have them wiped out as in the same nature as Romans chapter 1. And give them over to it and destroy them. Sodomy or gender identity as it's off softly being called is simply the offspring of a people who are denying the existence of God. The cure of sodomy is getting God back where he belongs. The loving creator and Savior of this world. To preach the gospel of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, sodomy will go away when God is put back in its rightful throne. During the Roman Empire, the time of Jesus, there was a corrupted rule that steeped in great immorality, sodomy, and a corruption as a result of a godless agenda. 
But the early church lifted up Christ in that day. And it put God back on the throne. The great Roman Empire fell as a result of a resolved church that would stand even in the face of persecution to the extent of death. It reminds me of Moses holding up his hands with the rod of God in his hand against the attack of the Amalekites. The rod of God. The rod of correction. The rod of truth. Think about it. The place on top of the hill above the battle. When Moses had his hands up, they would be winning. It's all about that. When his hands fell down, they would be losing. Does that not represent where we're at today? We're in the same battle and we need to be fighting the battle from on high. Lifting holy hands, holy hands to God in prayer. Knowing that success in the ground battle for souls below is in full dependence of holy hands of fervent, constant prayer. Just like Moses, I want you to think about that. The knowledge of God is an inborn nature. There's another inborn nature that exists that is truly incredible and answers some of the deepest questioning and reasoning of this temporal earth. Have you ever asked the question, if people are blinded about eternity, if people know about eternity and realize that they only have this life alone to live, and if most of the world is not saved, what keeps this world from total selfish corruption? There's another law written in the heart of mankind in Romans 2.14, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature, by nature, the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge, listen to this, the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. The world is also full of unsaved good doers. Unsaved good doers that God will judge. He will judge, it says, the secrets of men. Jesus said that if a man looks to, uh, uh, at a woman to lust after her, he is guilty of adultery. Do you want the secrets of your heart brought out? Man, that ought to cause every man to run to Christ for salvation. God judges the godless because they know. Why is it that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess? God's not going to... This is just my belief by what I see in the Scriptures. The evil, the most evil people are come and they're going to bow before... God, not because He makes them. You know, we get that in our mind because that's how we think. They're going to see them. And then they're going to say, I was wrong. It'll be too late for them. It's too late for them. Now, today is the day of salvation. God will judge the moral group who are saved. People who live by conscience, believing that their works will get them there, or I'm a pretty good person. 
you know, and compared to people, you know, I do pretty good, and all that kind of nonsense that is no good for salvation. They are in danger of hell fire, folks. They need the gospel. They need the truth. And to be sure, God doesn't miss a group. He calls into judgment the very most religious, the Jews. The religion of truth. Yet a religion full of lost souls. The Jews, the ones who delivered the truth, wrote the truth, preserved the truth. Romans 2.17 Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law. And makest thy boast of God, and knowest His will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed of the Father, and are confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. He lists ten advantages here that the Jews have over everybody. The first five are what he was as a Jew. The last five are what he did as a Jew. Paul will call into question whether they practice what they preach. Is the law the cold factual part in their heads by the power of man's religion and traditions or written in the sensitivity of the heart through a personal relationship of the all-powerful God? That's the difference. It's still a relationship. It was back then. It is now. Romans 2.21, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself, Paul talking, thou art that thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorst idols, dost, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law dishonoreth God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. It says, For circumcision, verily profiteth, if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. It's rooted in the law, circumcision. Therefore the circumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. Now I want to stop off at this subject of circumcision. It's going to be a strange subject to talk about this morning, but I think it's important. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that after prayer. But I want to, I want to preach a message called nature's puzzle shapes nature's puzzle shapes let's pray father you have your written word of god but you also have other things things that need to be looked at to be put together that fit 
that in your nature and in your design teaches us things that helps us to perfectly put your word together. I pray, Lord, that we would be inspired to know you in your word and in your nature and for who you are. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's a common thing for a family to work on a puzzle together. I know the Follets, you're, you're puzzle people, aren't you? That's good. There's no better puzzle to work together on than the puzzle of God's Word. In family camp, I'm going I'm to talk a little bit more about this and the puzzle of God's Word. To ask the hard questions. To look beyond what seems to what is correct, what seems to be correct. To be inquisitive, to take joy in. Nature is the puzzle shapes of God's Word that confirms correct doctrine. You have to go there in order to really put it all together. When you put a puzzle pieces together, the color and pattern can look acceptable, and even the shape of the piece seems to fit. I don't know if you've been like this, but I've been in a place where a puzzle where this piece, it, I think it fits. Maybe it doesn't, kind of thing. But then you find out, you continue the puzzle all to find out that that piece was not the correct piece, and when the puzzle is complete, you figure out that every piece has a perfect piece, place, and you have the satisfaction of a perfect, completed puzzle. The Word of God is like putting a puzzle together. It doesn't come easy, folks. And man, there is joy. God wants you to delve into it, to ask Him, to talk to Him, to reveal things to you. But many times, oversimplistic views or an incomplete view, or a putting together without seeing the whole picture, and if you can imagine putting together a puzzle without looking at the completed picture on the box. Hey, I'll tell you, this is how man a lot of times goes after the Word of God. They're clueless. They don't see the whole picture. How do you do that? All these can lead to incorrect doctrine, and as the Bible says in Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Not only the colors and patterns should match, but also the shape has to fit as well. Now a lot of God's, what I'll call puzzle pieces, aren't every one some little distinct shape that goes together. They very closely sometimes resemble things. You know, I led off with the subject of circumcision as an example. My wife asked me the question of why God used circumcision with the Jews. Like, that seems kind of like odd, doesn't it? It is kind of odd. And though there's a lot of what I would call color and patterns given in the Word of God, talking about circumcision, you can get a lot through the Word of God. I believe it is of utmost important to study the God's given nature of circumcision. 
along with the clear patterns and colors of God's written word, to get a full answer from God on the matter. But a lot of people just stop there. They won't go to that, that next step. Now I'll tell you, if God says circumcision is, is right and, and, and do have circumcision, then that's all you got to do is obey. But, there's, but don't you want to know? Don't you want don't you want to be like Joel and ask why? <laughs> why, God? In the right way. We, we, we need to do that. I don't want to make this a study necessarily of circumcision, but rather to help you to understand the way to understand God through the nature of His creation. For instance, here are some things of nature to consider with circumcision. Circumcision was of the male only. Maybe speaking about male spiritual leadership. And you'll see this with Moses and a failure in that. Number two, it had to do with removing of what is insensitive, a cutting away of the flesh to expose what is sensitive, the spirit of God. It was a part of the body that was external. These are all natural things. Therefore, it would be temporal. You know, of all things, you know, when we die, you know, we have our soul, which is eternal. We have the spirit that lives with God, but the body dies. It's, it's temporal. It's only going to last a certain long. A temporal representation of that which would be internal, the law to grace. It was a part of the body that is associated with the removal of toxins, perhaps the picture of confession of sin. It was a part of the body where cleanliness is essential, being cleansed from sin. It was a part of the body used for procreation, to raise children unto the Lord. Though it could be performed at any time, it was to be done naturally, we find out, at a precise time after birth, on the eighth day. And in the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Leviticus 12, 3. You know, I mentioned in a very immature state, just this broad statement to a pastor of mine, that Leviticus seems to be like the heart of God. And that just resonated. He just looked at me and he said, you're right. Now, Leviticus has the most odd things in it, but probably does reveal so much of God if you'll delve into it and look at it. You know, it was a bloody procedure, circumcision. Exodus 4.18, and Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law. And this is a, just a, a really kind of a, these interesting portions in the Word of God that come out. And said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, return unto my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. He was, God had told him to go back. He was going back to, uh, to free the people from Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, Go return into Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. And Moses, listen to this, took his wife and his sons, plural, and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And, I, you know, I can't say for sure what's going on, but I can imagine with a big burden of, I'm going back to Egypt with this rod, I spoke to God, I'm, man, I'm focused. If, if it's me, I'm focused. 
because I'm like this focused kind of guy. I, you know, it's, it's kind of it's good and it's bad. He takes his sons, takes the rod of God in his hand. The Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest, return into Egypt. See that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. But I will harden his heart, and he shall not let the people go. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. All these words. I'm just, I, can't, I can't expound everything that's here. It runs off in so many crazy directions and scriptures just start coming. These words are important. Let God reveal them to you. And I say unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. He told him of that last plague already what was going to happen. And it came to pass in the way, in the end, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Sought to kill Moses. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. Now, I don't know. I, I, you let the Lord talk to you on this. But it said son. My guess is the other son was circumcised. Maybe this boy was eight days old, nine days old. So he let him go. Then she said, a bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. You don't hear about her and the boys till later when the father-in-law brings them up after the, after the exodus in, in the wilderness. That's something right here. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but it was his responsibility. Now, medically speaking, or should I say by God's created nature, the eighth day after the birth is when the highest presence of the clotting factor vitamin K is there. But there's more to it than that. Exodus twenty-two twenty-nine: The firstborn of thy sons shalt thou give unto me. Likewise shalt thou do with thine oxen and with thy sheep. Seven days it shall be with his dam. On the eighth day thou shalt give it me. And ye shall be holy men unto me. Leviticus 8.30 And Moses took of the anointing oil, and if you've been listening good, Brother Mike's been talking about this, listen to these things. And the blood which was upon the altar and sprinkled upon Aaron, upon his garments, upon his sons, upon his son's garments with him, and sanctified Aaron and his garments and his sons and his son's garments with him. Hebrews 9.22, and almost all things are by the law, purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. The circumcision, there's a lot to it. It's not some crazy thing God flipped a coin and said, this is how it's going to be. <laughs> and Moses said unto Aaron to his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and there eat it with the bread that is in the basket of con consecrations, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. Basically, there's food for seven days here for these 
baptize. And when it's done, they didn't want nothing left over. It was all going to be burnt complete. Done. And that which remaineth of the flesh and of the bread shall ye burn with fire. And ye shall not go out of the door of the tabernacle of the congregation in seven days until the days of your consecration be at an end. For seven days shall he consecrate you. As he hath done this day, so the Lord hath commanded to do to make an atonement for you. Therefore shall ye abide at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation day and night, seven days, and keep the charge of the Lord that ye die not. For so I am commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things which the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. And it says in Leviticus 9.1, And it came to pass on the eighth day, on the eighth day, that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. Leviticus 14.1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leopard in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest, and the priest shall go forth out of the camp. And the priest shall, not, shall look, and behold, if the plague, be of, plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him, that is, to be cleansed, two birds alive, and clean, and cedarwood, and scarlet, and hyssop, of all things. Bing, 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 those words go off of my mind. And the priest shall command that one of the birds shall be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. Bing, 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 I don't know about you. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. And he that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, and shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water, that he may be clean. Remember some of the things about circumcision. In there. And after that he shall come into the camp, and shall tarry abroad out of his tent seven days. But it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave his hair off his head, and his beard, and his eyebrows. Even all his hair shall shave off. And he shall wash his clothes, also he shall wash his flesh in water, and shall be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take two he lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb, the first year without blemish, and three tenths deals of fine flour for a meat offering mingled with oil, and one log of oil. And it goes through and it continues through for sake of time. I'm not going to go through all this. But there's also laws of, for cleansing of other issues of men be, besides leprosy. Leviticus 15.1 And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, say unto them, When any man hath a running issue out of his flesh, because of his issue he is unclean. And then in verse 13 of Leviticus 15, And when he that hath an issue is cleansed of his issue, then he shall number him to himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in running water and shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take to him two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and give them unto the priest. There's also cleansing laws for the woman also. And if a woman have an issue and her issue in her flesh be blood, she shall be part, put apart seven days. And whosoever toucheth her shall be unclean until the evening. And then later down in the chapter it says in verse 28, But if she be cleansed of her issue, then she shall number to herself seven days. And after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day 
She shall take unto her two turtle doves or two young pigeons and bring them unto the priest to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for the issue of her uncleanness. Luke 2.21. Moving up to the New Testament. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, His name was called Jesus. Which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought, unto, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be a feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. We're going to be a little long here, so just buckle in, folks. On the first day shall be an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. Seven days ye shall... Offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall offer an offering by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and ye shall do no civil work therein. These are the feasts of the Lord, which, verse 37, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering and a meat offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything upon his day. Beside the Sabbaths of the Lord, and beside your gifts, and beside all your vows, and beside all your free will offerings which ye give unto the Lord, also in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And ye shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. This ought to be starting to ring a bell with you. And it shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Ye shall dwell in booths seven days. That all that all the Israelites born shall dwell in booths. That your generation may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God was with them. They were in booths. They had their own separate temples. Now you know where the temple of God is now in our and Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord <laughs> Leviticus 23:40. and ye shall take you on the first day boughs of goodly tree branches of palm trees and of boughs of thick trees and willows of the brook and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days Nehemiah chapter 8 beginning in verse 8 so they read oh man they're coming back to the Lord. 
So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, it says, and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershetha, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is a holy unto the Lord your God, more not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat of the fat, and drink of the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Man, that and that, it's wonderful. God's got to reveal that word. Oh, man, that, that all, when God reveals stuff to you. And on the second day, it says they were gathered together, the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written, they'll get up and they find this written, in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, so they must have gotten way far away from this, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches, myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim. And all the congregation of them were come again out of the captivity, made booths, and sat under the booths, for since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, Joshua, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. Wow. Didn't take them long to get away from things, did it? It says, And they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. Now John, chapter 7. Beginning in verse 1, And after these things, <clears throat> Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the feast of the tabernacles was at hand. The Jews were now going to do the feast of tabernacles. I'm going to jump, jump down to John chapter 7, verse 10. It said, But when his brethren went gone up, were gone up, then went he also up into the feast, not openly, but as it was in secret. He let them go. He didn't know that they didn't know he was going to go. But he went up in secret. John 7, 14. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Jump down to John 7, 28. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and you know whence I am. And I am come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. And it says, then they sought to take him. <laughs> but no man laid hands on him, because if we listen to Brother Tim was teaching through the book of John, 
because it's repeated in there because his time because his hour was not yet come. Now Jesus would speak once again on the last day of the feast, the eighth day. This was the eighth day of the feast. On this particular day of their feast, the water was mixed with wine and poured into two silver cups upon an altar. John 19.34, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. 1 John 5.6, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. After this, these two cups with the water and wine, the people sang from Isaiah 12.3, With joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Now listen to what Jesus says to the people in John 7.37. In that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst... Let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But, he, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. 1 John 5, 8 says, And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. John 12, 12. On the next day, listen to this. This is Jesus coming in to Jerusalem. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees, and they also had other sticks and things, and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. What we call Palm Sunday. On the eighth day after Palm Sunday, the great rejoicing day is Resurrection Sunday. Brother Mike said, it's all about Jesus. Everything back there was representing Jesus. Even though they didn't know, they were limited in their knowledge. You get things as you go along. It was all about him. Luke 2.21, And when the eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. There was a beginning. There was a time in the middle between and also an end to that celebration. And I want you to keep that thought in your mind as we enter into this evening service. So I want to talk about some other things of that nature. These are nature's clues. David. 
I don't think David had, I'm, he probably had some scriptures or something out in the field. But he's with the sheep, and it's him and that God of heaven, and he's asking questions, a man after God's own heart. You are going to stunt your growth. That's we're talking about growing in the Lord. Unless you want to seek God and understand Him. And understand Him fully. And ask the questions. And look at the nature. And let God start to put things perfectly together. You'll get so excited. You know why Brother Mike comes up here? <laughs> it just loves teaching. It's in him. He's excited about what God's done. He's seeing things beyond just the words. He's seeing the God. He's seeing things put together. And he's trying to tell that to you the best he can. Sometimes he has to mutter it out just like all of us to try to help you to understand what he sees and already knows, but you need to see it and know it for yourself. So a family can't... I want to make sure that you have the potential to fully grow in the Lord and understand some simple things that are you going to find that are inside the Scriptures and yet outside the Scriptures that pulls that puzzle together. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Pianists come into play. Would you just ask God to give you a bigger heart for Him to give you a bigger vision to help you see the whole picture. Don't try to put a puzzle together without seeing the whole completed thing and understanding it. Look deeply into it. Book of Joshua. It says to meditate day and night. You hear me? Meditate day and night. Ask God. Ask Him why. Let Him show you. Let it build in your heart. You'll be so thankful to Him. It'll make so much more understanding of life here and give you confidence in Him. It becomes so big to you. You really can't afford not to do that, folks. This is my Father's world. Everything perfectly aligned. Exactly like once. There's no happenstance in anything. It cries of God's perfectness in creation. Amen. I hope the Holy Spirit spoke to you in your life. If this all sounds foreign to you, maybe you just need to be saved. God has to reveal these things to you.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I just pray you'd uh, touched our hearts today, encouraged us to seek you with all our heart, all our soul, and all our might. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Oh.